0: Job 9 in your Bible please, I think most of you will be there already, but if you decided to close your Bible, please open it again to Job 9. Now as I read that passage, as is quite typical of whatever reading I do in the book of Job, it doesn't sound very encouraging. Job is not very encouraged, in fact, um, as he is saying these words, however, we can pull many tremendous truths from these statements, truths which can by and large be encouraging. And one of those opportunities is found today. If you have uh, your notes there or notes that I gave you, you'll notice that the title of the message is True Confidence. You know, spiritual frustration in our lives can come in many forms, can it not? We can become spiritually frustrated when we feel as though we don't perhaps measure up to the Word of God or what we ought to do. Maybe we don't have the discipline to read our Bible every day or to spend time in prayer every day or we're not going to church as much as we know we ought and and attending the fellowship of the believers or we're not, uh, whatever the case may be, these are elements in our lives that can sometimes tend to cause a spiritual frustration whereby we know we ought to be doing something, uh, but we're not doing it. There are also times where we can become spiritually frustrated in our lives when we find ourselves doubting what we know and what we ought to exercise of our faith. We know that we ought to have faith in God. We know that this circumstance is in God's control and yet we find ourselves still doubting. We find ourselves still worrying. We find ourselves still fretting over these things that we desire to leave before God. It can be a source of great spiritual frustration. But you know, when you think of those elements of spiritual frustration, one of the the solaces that we have in these frustrating times is we recognize that it is our problem. If we're not reading our Bible enough, we recognize that we can work on getting to the point where we are more disciplined in reading our Bible. If we're not praying enough or going to church when we ought or or if if we're not exercising faith the way we ought, these are things that we can work out in our lives. But probably the most... Frustrating spiritual circumstance. The greatest of spiritual frustrations is when we are just confused. When we are so confused or when in our confusion we cannot even see how it is that we can alter our lifestyle or alter our circumstances or alter our mindset or our actions to bring ourselves out of a state of spiritual frustration. In... A similar way, or in a similar vein, Job is experiencing great spiritual frustration. And the spiritual frustration that he finds in his life is a frustration that he feels like he cannot get his hands around. He cannot wrap his mind around. He is, he is not just frustrated, he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what God is doing. And so he has no means by which to alter his course. Or change the way he's operating to get out of the difficulties that are in his life. That's what we're going to look at today in Job 8 and 9. But as we do so, what I am going to, the direction we're going with this is an opportunity to see how the spiritual frustration that Job is going through need never touch our lives as believers. And the reason why it need never touch our lives as believers is because the very thing that Job calls for, the very thing that Job says, if I only had this, I would not, I, I would not have any confusion. I would not be, I, I could, I could deal with my circumstances if only I had this. That element that Job longs for is an element that you and I have. We'll look at it as we continue in the text. Two insights into Job's confusion from Job 9 and 10 that reveal to us the greatness of our salvation. Let's look at them together beginning in Job 9 verse 1 and we'll go through verse 25 for this first point. The first insight, your standing before God is entirely dependent upon God. Your standing before God is entirely dependent upon God. Verse 1 of chapter 9 says, Then Job answered and said. As we would expect, Job's response in chapters 9 and 10 is a response to what Bildad had said in chapter 8. We talked about Bildad and what Bildad had said last week. And so Bildad made these claims. Just in case you forgot, or for the many that were not able to be here last week for weather or perhaps illness as well, let's remember what he said. Bildad had great things to say. He had excellent truths to say. And not only were they good, but they were accurate. They were indeed accurate. However, we recall his proper statements ended up coming to improper conclusions. What we called this last week was a logical fallacy. He said, this is true of God, that God is just. This is true of God, that God does not pervert justice or judgment. Therefore, Job, you're mired in sin. Therefore, Job, God killed your children because of their sin. He drew an improper conclusion from true assertions, and we we talked about that last week. Now, the end of his argument, he contended that those who forget God are destined to destruction and those who are right with God will not be cast away by God. Now, Job listened. And he disagreed with Bildad's conclusion, as we know, and we'll see as we continue in the text. Bildad's com- conclusion is, in fact, false. But he did agree with Job's premise. He did agree with the statements that, uh, excuse me, with, with Bildad's pre- uh, premise. He did agree with Bildad's statements. And we see this here in verse 2 of chapter 9 of Job. He says, I know it is so of a truth. Yes. Bildad, what you say is correct, that that the the unrighteous will be destroyed, that God will not cast away the righteous. He says, I agree with those points, but what does that have to do with me is basically what Job is saying. He says, but how, verse 2, should a man be just with God? How can a man have right standing before God? Bildad, you said that the man that has a right standing before God is the man that God will spare and the man that is unrighteous is the man that God will cast away. I agree with you, but how shall a man be just with God? What is your standard, Bildad? You're saying that because I have these terrible circumstances in my life, because I lost my children, because I lost my health, because I lost my livelihood, you're saying that I am one of these unrighteous that I don't agree with that. I agree that the unrighteous will perish, that the righteous will be kept by God, but I don't agree with your conclusion. Now, he asks Bildad in verse 3. He says, if a man contends, if he debates or he argues with God, would he win one of a thousand of those debates? Well, of course, the answer is no. Job says, what should I do? I'm a man that's claiming innocence. You're saying I'm not innocent because of the difficulties in my life. What should I do? Should I contend with God? Am I ever going to win with God? No. He asks in verse 4, Has any wise man or any mighty man ever prospered in opposing God on anything? He says, He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself, who hath opposed God and hath prospered? No man has. Clearly the answer is no. Well, these questions arise as Job is continuing to reconcile his circumstances with his obedience to God. He's saying, Bill, that I agree with you that the righteous will be established, the wicked will be destroyed. No one here, however, can testify of my unrighteousness. What can I do about it? I can't go and debate God. I can't try to convince Him that I do not deserve what I'm going through. He says, no man, regardless of his righteousness, can contend with God's actions. Well, as Job continues in verses 5 through 12, he describes why it is that no man be it a righteous man or an unrighteous man, could ever contend with God's decisions, with God's actions, with God's will. Notice what he says, verse 5. God is a God which removeth the mountains, and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble, which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and treadeth upon the earth, Waves of the sea, which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things, past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not, he passeth on also, but I perceive him not. Behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. How much less shall I answer him, and choose out my words to reason with him? Whom, though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. He says, mountains rise and fall at God's command. The sun rises and sets at God's command. The waves of the sea spread at His command. The stars are set in patterns at His command. No man has the ability to hinder God in His doings. No man has the right to question God in His doings. You see, it's all about perspective. Job says, this is my perspective that God is not going to be hindered. God is not going to be contended with. Job says, that's not my problem here. You're saying I'm unrighteous. I'm saying I'm innocent. My problem is not so much that as there's another problem here, which Job will get to in a moment. You know, we as humans, particularly as Christians, can get pretty confused in our perspective sometimes, can it not? Humans see great buildings Terrific structures, technologies, and we begin to think that we are something pretty amazing. Look at all that we can do. Look at what man is capable of. And yet we forget that the tallest buildings and that the most amazing technologies pale in comparison to what God has done in nature. The greatest of buildings pale in comparison to the mountains that God have made. No building is as tall. No building is as strong. The earth can crumble buildings. The earth can shatter technologies. No small, minute technology, no microchip, no nanotechnology that has been created has any precision when compared to a human cell, when compared to the atoms, when compared to those intricacies that we see in nature, we forget that God's creation, that God's handiwork, that God's order is far and away greater than anything man has ever done. But we, in our Christian lives, do this as well. And this is the perspective that Job is calling out here. See, we as Christians, we begin to think that we're pretty good people. We do good things. We're good moral people. We understand a lot about the world that we live in. We have great wisdom. We can uh, trace a lot of, uh, of, of what's happened in this world in accordance with God's plan. And we begin to think a great deal of ourselves. We begin to think that maybe God's favor with me is tied into my righteousness. Maybe God loves me and God blesses me because of all the good things I do, and we forget that anything good that we have, anything good that we are, anything good that we ever were and ever will become is only a shadow of the goodness of the one that made us. That anything that we have that is virtuous in this life is only accomplished from Christ living it out through us. That anything that we have that's worth anything in this life is attributed to God, not to us. And so Job gives a needful perspective here. He says, Bildad, here you are saying that I am suffering because of my unrighteousness. What you're trying to tell me is that I can do anything before God that makes me just. How can a man be just with God, Bildad? Right here, let me point out where Job is going with this. We're not, going to, we're not there quite yet, but let me point out where Job is going with this. Where he will end up. He has said that there is no man that can contend with God, regardless of the man's righteousness or unrighteousness. He has remembered that God is so high above man that it is truly unfathomable that we cannot contend with God because He's so much higher than us. Isaiah 55 tells us that. And so his conclusion will be this. If only there was a mediator. If only there was someone standing between the Almighty God and me as a fallible man that could reconcile us together. If only there was someone between us. I could contend with my circumstances. If only I knew that there was somebody pleading my case before God. That's where Job is going with this. That can give you an idea as to where we will be going with this. As we continue, our first point, however, is still here that your standing before God is entirely dependent upon God Himself. God, Job states as much in verse 13. No man can stand before God unless God allows him to do so. He says, If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. God, it's, it's up to God whether he will, he will withdraw His anger. Therefore, Job says he cannot dare question God for what God is doing to him. But while Job will not dare question God, he says in verse 15, he would desire to make supplication to his judge. He says, I'm not questioning God's will, but I would desire to make supplication to him, to to alleviate my confusion as to why what's happening is happening. Job states that his complaints have not been an attempt to question what God is doing, but a humble appeal to the judge of all men to cease the tribulation and to give reason because Job is being broken. Notice what he says in verses 17 and 18. For he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me to take my breath but filleth me with bitterness. Have you ever been in a situation, perhaps uh, I suppose water is the situation I'm thinking of where you feel like you can't catch a breath? When I was younger, of course, boys being boys, we would, the guys would get in the pool together and we'd dunk each other, Right? And the only time where I had a real big problem with that is when some guy was dunking me and he wouldn't lift me up enough to feel like I could get a breath before he dunked me back under again. And I was kind of a scrawny kid, so I got dunked a lot. But that was a very nervous situation for me when I felt like I couldn't get a breath. I just can't get a breath. I'm an asthmatic as well. Uh, When I was uh, younger and my asthma was not under control, there would be times where I would just feel like, regardless of what I do, I just can't get a breath. There's a frustration there when when you're trying everything you can and you can't get a breath. That's what Job is saying here. He says he will not suffer me to take a breath. As soon as one thing happens, another thing happens, and another thing happens, I can't even catch a breath of fresh air before something else bad is happening to me. He says, if I speak in the strength of strength, lo, he is strong. And if of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? Job says he cannot speak of strength and judgment before God because God is perfect in strength and judgment. Verse 20, he says he cannot justify himself for any perfection that he would claim, any justification he would claim would be perverse, would pale in the eyes of a perfect and a just God. And so Job says there's only one conclusion I can come to. Verse 22, this is one thing, therefore I said it. He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. Job says there's only one conclusion I can come to and that is that the physical circumstances of my life have nothing to do with whether I'm righteous or wicked that God destroys the righteous and the wicked and notice his proof in verses 23 and 24 disaster brings sudden death upon the innocent the innocent still die and then he says in verse 24 the earth is run by wicked men he says the earth is given into the hands of the wicked we can see that all around us every day how can we say that the, only the righteous prosper and only the wicked falter when we look around our world and we see wickedness in high places? When the world is run by wicked men, when our country is run by wicked men, when we see wealthy men who are wicked, when we see rich men who, uh, be it property, be it physical wealth, be it whatever the case may be, don't honor God. And we see men of righteousness, men who love God, Suffering, cancer, illness, poverty, persecution, death. Job says I can only come to one conclusion that God destroys the righteous and the wicked. That God allows good and bad to happen independent of our righteousness or our wickedness before Him. Independent of our sin or lack of sin. And so God... Being so high above man is also man's only hope. He is also man's only hope. So we've seen, first of all, that our standing before God is entirely dependent upon God. Let's look at the second insight from Job this morning. Man needs a mediator. Number two, beginning in verse 25, man needs a mediator. We began reading in verse 29. We'll get there in a moment. Job concludes his response to Bildad by making two points. The first point is in verses 25 to 28. He says, Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagles that hasteth to the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that that will not hold me innocent. He says, I can't even comfort myself. Job says he would just as soon forget his complaint against God, not contend for his own righteousness, but rather just recognize that this is what God is doing to him. But there's a problem. There's these three men that are demanding of him that he is wicked. There are these three men sitting around him that are calling him to repent. These men he respects. These men are old men. They have years of experience. They understand God's revelation and yet they're telling him something that makes no sense to him in his situation. And so he's confused. And he says, if it were not for this confusion, I could let it go, but I'm so confused. Remember in Job 1 and 2, when these things happened to Job and his wife said, Job, won't you just curse God and die? What did he say? He said, should we receive evil or good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? And he justified God. But now he has people coming up and saying, this is not right, you're not right, Job. And he's confused. He says, if it were not for this confusion, I could just let it go. And so he asks, he says, in verse 29, this was our text this morning, if I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? What is the purpose of all of the sacrifices? What is the purpose of the temperance? What is the purpose of the kindness? What is the purpose of the godliness and the piety and the generosity and the obedience to God if at the end of the day I'm still just a wicked man before God and I still end up being punished by God? The only way man knows how to please God is by obeying God. And if that is not enough, then what can a man do? That's what Job is asking here. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? This is similar to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If you and I don't have an eternal hope, if you and I don't have an eternity, a salvation to look for and to expect, then all of the ways that we deny our flesh in this life, all of the ways that we exercise temperance, exercise virtue, exercise piety, all of those things in this life are worthless if there's no life to come. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then it's all worthless. Job says here, if, if I have done all of this, if I have sought to please God with all that I am and I'm still a wicked man, why am I even laboring in vain? It's not even worth it. But this is where Job says it. Verse 33. Everyone look at verse 33 with me. If you mark in your Bibles, this would be a good verse to mark. I'll start in verse 32 for context. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. A daysman, in this context. The daysman was a man who would be um, contracted by two men in order to mediate a circumstance for them. If there was an argument between two men, if there was a contract that needed to be, be made between two men, if there was a situation where two men needed to reconcile a difference, they would call for a daysman. They would call for a mediator. And the mediator would talk to the one man, and he would talk to the other man, and he would be that objective third party that would reconcile the two one to another. Job says here, it is not so much my circumstances that discourage me, but the fact that I cannot discern my standing before God. If there was only an objective third party that could, that could speak to God on my behalf, if there was only someone that could speak for me to God, I'd be content with my circumstances because I could have the confidence of knowing that even though I'm in this difficult circumstance, that God has heard my cause, that, God, that there is someone pleading my case. Now, before we apply what Job says here in verse 33, I'm just going to briefly summarize what we read today in Job 10. This is just going to be a brief summary, and this is going to be it for my, my preaching on Job 10. If you want more in depth, you can come see me or do this study on your own. Job says in chapter 10 that because there is no mediator between him and God, he is going to stand before God and contend for himself. Job feels as though God is carefully picking apart his life looking for sin. God, you are, you are tearing apart my life. You're tearing pieces away, looking for my sin. Yet Job knows that God is not like a man. He says, God, why would you be tearing apart, picking apart my life, looking for sin, if you know everything? The psalmist said in Psalm 139, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down and uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my paths, my lying down and acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O oh Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. The psalmist knew that God knew everything about him. And Job says, God, you know everything about me. You don't need to pick apart my life to find sin. You can just pinpoint it. So why is my life being picked apart? God knows all. God created him. God formed him. God even gave him great favor and blessing for a time. And now it seems as though God was simply setting Job up for a great fall. He's confused. That's what Job says in Job 10.15. He says, if I be wicked, woe unto me, and if not, and if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head? He says, I am full of confusion. God, I'm confused. And then he says in verse 18, wherefore then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb? And he again makes his appeal that he wishes that he could just die in peace. Let me illustrate Job's frustration here. Perhaps this is a bad illustration. I was reading through it again and I thought, well, I don't know if this is a great illustration, but it, it kind of hits me home, so maybe, maybe it'll, it'll be a good illustration, maybe it won't. This past December and January, there was a transition taking place in my, my job. I, I was a bivocational pastor. I have since not had... Uh, By vocational work anymore. My, my job ended this past January. But during this January-December time, the valet company I worked for at the hospital was transitioning to a new company. And so I was losing my job and a new company was coming in. Well, when this company came in, they came in and they, they told me, as they were describing to me why they were taking over, they said that we think we can do a better job. We think we can do this job better than your company and these sorts of things. And as, as I heard this at first, I was very disappointed. See, because the valet company there was represented by me. I was the only employee. There was another lady that would come on another shift. She and I, and we worked the shift exclusively ourselves. There was no other person there when we worked. Which means if the company was perceived as not doing the job well, that means I wasn't doing my job well because I was the company there. I was the representative of the company and that bothered me greatly. There was one thing that was my solace. In that, And that is that this company was seeking to hire me. He saw my work and he said, I like the way you do your job, so we would like to interview you to take a job with our company now so that you can keep working even though your company is losing this contract. And I thought, well, that must mean that they're not too displeased with my work because they're trying to hire me. Well, I went through the interview process and there came a day where it was time to find out the the conclusion of the matter. Would I be hired? Would I not be hired? And the manager came up to me and said, we are not going to hire you. We've decided to go in a different direction. Well, to be honest, this did not bother me in a bit. I'd been praying about it. Of course, it was my heart to be able to go full-time in the ministry. It just wasn't in my pocketbook to be able to go full-time in the ministry. The Lord has since provided in such a way that my wife and I are fine. And so I was very happy with this. I thank the Lord. He has answered my prayer. He has given me a direction. I'm no longer working. But... There was one thing about that situation that troubled me as I thought about it. What troubled me was, if they're looking for someone to work this shift, if I was willing, if I interviewed, and they didn't hire me, why didn't they hire me? Is there something wrong with the way I did my job? Did, I, did they want something that they, they didn't think I could provide? Was it something wrong with me? Was it, was it something that I did wrong? And you know, I had no means by which to find out. Because there was no one between me and the company that would answer that question for me. There was no one that would tell me, it has nothing to do with you, it's just a business decision. If it's a business decision, I'm fine with that. You made a business decision. Maybe you could pay this guy less than you would pay me. That's fine. Business decisions. Business is business. But if it has something to do with me, then that's going to be troubling to me because I want to do my job well. And I want to be a man that people can look at and say, this is a man who does, the be- does things to the best of his ability. And I felt that frustration. Not a frustration in the circumstance, but a frustration of what compelled the circumstances. And that is what Job felt. He said, God, it's not that the circumstances are unbearable. He doesn't like the circumstances, but he says, God, I could bear these circumstances if only I knew that I was right with you. If only I knew that there was nothing between me and my God. I need a mediator. I need someone. He says, I can cope with God judicially deciding to destroy me, but I can't bear to be in a place where I feel like there's something I could be doing better and I don't know what it is. I can't contend with God, but if only there was a daysman. If only there was a mediator that could stand between myself and God and contend for me. If I had a mediator, then I could have confidence in my standing before God and I could bear my situation with joy. As God heard these words out of the mouth of Job, I would like to think in my sanctified imagination that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, was looking down at Job, knowing that it would still be some 3,000 years before he would die on the cross and become that mediator for men. I can imagine God the Son sitting at the right hand of the Father saying, I'm coming, Job. The mediator is coming. There will be a mediator between God and man. There is coming one who will stand between a holy God and a sinful man and become the mediator to give mankind the confidence to stand before the very throne of God. And it won't be confidence in himself. Man won't come to God with his own confidence in his righteousness. Man won't come to God with his own confidence in his works. Man will come to God with boldness because he knows that there's a mediator and that mediator is reconciling him to God. The mediator is coming. And now, in 2013, we read these words of Scripture and we recognize that the mediator has come. God began with what he describes in Hebrews as a shadow mediator, the high priest, a fallible man practicing mediation between God and man through a sacrificial system. But this was only for a time, and it was only a shadow of that which was to come. Until the great high priest, the perfect mediator, would come into the world. And that perfect mediator, that great high priest, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so 1 Timothy 2.5 states, There is one mediator between God and men. That mediator is not the Pope. That mediator is not Mary. That mediator is not Paul. That mediator is not any other man. But the man, Christ, Jesus one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus Hebrews 4:14 4, through 16 states seeing we that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our profession for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin and here's the conclusion of the the writer of Hebrews let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, it's because we have a mediator that we can come before God. It's because we have a mediator that we can appeal to God. And it's because we have a mediator that when we get into circumstances, troubles, trials, and tribulations in our life, we can have the confidence of knowing that God is not judiciously destroying us for sin because we have a mediator in heaven that is appealing to God for us because God looks down on us and he sees Christ's righteousness in us. It's not about us. It's about Christ in us. Now, how does this mediator become our mediator? We've talked about Lord Jesus Christ being our mediator, but he's not the mediator for every man. See, because he is the mediator of those who have been saved by grace Through faith. Now Jesus Christ died for every man. Every man is a sinner. Every man is unrighteous before God. Job even asked it, how can a man be just with God? A man cannot be just with God. But there is a mediator who is just with God. But see, there's an expectation. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves. that is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when we recognize our need, our sin, and we see that there is a mediator who has taken upon himself the reconciling work of reconciling God to man, then the scriptures say we need to accept that mediator for ourselves. We need to appropriate the person and the work of that mediator. We need to believe on Jesus Christ to be saved from our sin, and so that we can have that mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, if you have not today accepted that mediator for yourself, then there is no one reconciling you to God. And so you are on the path toward destruction. The scriptures say an eternity in hell, in the lake of fire, as a just consequence of your sin. But there's a mediator who has paid the price for our sin and who stands at the right hand of the Father. And for any man who will believe on Jesus Christ, be saved from their sins, accept the free gift, accept the person and work of Jesus Christ as he claimed himself to be, God in flesh, he will become the mediator between God and man, reconciling you to God for eternity. Now, for we who have received this gift of salvation. What does the mediator mean for you? What does Jesus Christ's mediatorial role, we could say, mean for you? Well, first, what does it not mean? What does Jesus Christ as mediator not mean? It does not mean that bad things won't happen to you. It does not mean bad circumstances will not come into your life. It does not mean you won't get sick. It does not mean that you won't be poor. That's not what this means. In fact, the mediation of Jesus Christ makes no comment at all regarding the presence or absence of physical difficulty or physical goods in this life. What does it mean that Jesus is your mediator and my mediator? Well, in a word, it means confidence. It means when bad things happen or when good things happen or when nothing is happening or when everything is happening. We who are Holy Spirit and dwell believers, we who know that we are in Christ, we who have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace through faith, we who are born again, we never need to feel the confusion of being alone in our circumstances. We never need to sit wondering if God is for us or against us, We never need to feel constrained to justify our actions before God, for we are justified through our mediator, Jesus Christ. We never need to feel compelled to contend with God for our own righteousness, because we know that we have no righteousness. Because our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah tells us, and the only righteousness we have is the righteousness that we're clothed in, Jesus Christ's righteousness. Let me remind you, Job didn't need to justify himself either. He did not need to contend for his own righteousness either. This is what Bildad told, or Job told Bildad in chapter 9. He is arguing that he cannot contend for himself at all. No better than you or I could. But what Job lacked that we have is the personal confidence in his standing before God through the perfect mediator. Job lacked it. You do not. Job didn't have it. We do. And so when the trials of life come, we who are under the blood of Jesus Christ can rest in complete assurance that God's dealings with us are dealings through the mediation of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that are in Christ Jesus... Who walk not after the flesh, but after those who love God. Excuse me. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. I put Romans 8.28 8, and Romans 8.1 together there at the beginning. That's why Paul could say that. Why are all things being worked together for good? Because we know that God is working through our mediator. Through Jesus Christ. And there's no question as to our standing before God because we in Christ are holy and without blame before Him in love. Ephesians 1.4 So as we close, let's apply. Let's think about these circumstances in our lives. I asked it already. Let me ask it again. Is Jesus Christ your mediator? Have you ever come to the point in your life where you recognize your sin, where you recognize how far short you have fallen from God's perfection, where you see... That, that, that unrighteousness, that your falling short has put you on a path toward hell, toward destruction, towards punishment as a just recompense of your sin, but that you recognized the remedy, the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and appropriated that to yourself, accepted Jesus Christ for yourself. Second, to believers. By the way, if you have not, please come see me after the service. I'll open the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that Jesus Christ is your mediator, that you are on your way to heaven. But to believers in this room, we've looked at it throughout the book of Job. Let me just state it again. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to good people. Things happen in our lives but do you see that regardless of what has happened in your life, your standing before God doesn't change? Your standing before God doesn't change because of the things that are happening in your life. Christ's righteousness does not unclothe you when bad things happen to you and reclothe you when good things happen. That's not how God works. Do you recognize, therefore the confidence that you have before God as you live this life. A confidence in complete salvation, but also a confidence in complete provision that assures you that God is in control, that God knows our state, that God knows our heart, and that God's dealings with us are not connected to vague possibilities of unrighteousness, but rather to definitive dealings of God with His children. Now this should give you confidence as you strive to live godliness in your life. This should give you confidence as well as Hebrews tells us to come boldly before the throne of God and petition God for your every need because you don't have to come to God on your qualifications. You come to God on Christ's qualifications. This should give you confidence in this life to live with a desire to please God and not to please men because the one that you need to please is the one who you serve is the one who has redeemed you is the one who is mediating for you I thank God that we do not as Job did in Job 9 and 10 need to lament for a daysman. For we have a daysman, and his name is Jesus Christ.